passionate about the truth of God's Word and will tell you like it is, Autumn Miles is best-selling author of three books, popular speaker, CEO, wife of 17 years, and mom of four kids, and not to mention, everybody's best friend. With fresh biblical insight, she dares you to step out in raw faith. Girls and boys, it is your girl, Autumn Miles. Welcome to a brand new week of the Autumn Miles Show. Happy summer to all of you out there. It is summertime. I'm telling you what. Um, I need the summer this year. I really, really need it. It's, uh, it's, I love summer. It's like, you know, you barbecue all the time and we have like 32 floats in our pool all the time because we have so many kids and they're like constantly in the pool. And I mean, I love there's Bahama Bucks on Star uh, Spotify has the best playlist. So I'm constantly playing the Bahama Bucks playlist at my house. It's happy. It is summer and I am just so um, excited to be here. Uh, I wanted to talk to you guys, moms and dads out there, about the last week of school. <laughs> can we just can we just talk about the last week of school? Uh, I am coming off of the last week of school. Now, the last week of school, I remember when I had Grace and I just had one one child. I felt like it was extremely overwhelming and it is overwhelming when you're like brand new to parenting and it's like, you know, you haven't done it yet and your child is graduating from kindergarten and the whole thing. But I don't know what it was. <laughs> Maybe it's the fact that I have four kids now and we're coming off of like COVID year and with all the things that happened this year. Um, it was like a crazy last week of school. And here I am, like we, we're going to, yesterday, my babies graduated kindergarten, which was so adorable. Jude had his award ceremony, which, you know, every year we find out he's like a genius because he's really good at school. He gets it from his dad. Okay. I was always really good with relationships and he, my husband is like really, really smart. So my, my son is a genius. We find out every year at the award ceremony, Grace I don't know what it is about my child, Grace. We have been to seven award ceremonies for her. It's like one for every class. I don't know what the deal is. But I promised my kids when they were little, we are going to be present. We are very present parents. So even um, recording this podcast that you're listening to right now, it literally took me doing like cartwheels, backbends, Mike, my producer doing the same thing. I mean, our schedules were like, I, I had to reach out to him and say, listen, I can't do it because I have to go to my kid's party. I can't do this because of this. I can't do this because of this. So he was very gracious and we found a time slot to record this week. Praise the Lord. But my whole point is this. The last week of school is insanity. And what I want to say is this. Congratulations to you parents 
who survived the last week of school. Listen, shout out to all the moms out there that went to all the award ceremonies and sat there while 347 kids were named that weren't your kid and then your kid got up and you yelled for them. Shout out to all the moms who brought individually wrapped chocolate chip cookies this year because COVID, no one can touch anything. Shout out to all the dads who got off of work to go and see their child walk across the stage for seven and a half seconds. Shout out to the parents. You know, uh, it's hard being a parent sometimes. And um, I just want to say you did it. We did it. We did it together, guys. We did it together. And those of you that don't have kids yet, um, we're praying for you because you're going to need it. You're going to need the endurance that the last week of school brings. Uh, I did want to talk about one thing that that really struck me yesterday, and I actually did a video somewhere on it. I don't even know where it is at this point, but um, I want to talk about just in in this opening part of of the podcast today the underrated value of consistency in parenting. There is something to be said about consistency in parenting that I don't think the world applauds. You know, the consistency, consistently helping your child read every single night for 15 minutes to sign the little book. In the beginning of the year with kindergartners, it feels like Mount Everest. I can't do this every night. You know, they don't know the words yet. Bless their heart. They're learning how to read. But after consistency, at the end of the year, Moses and Haven now are reading chapter books or paragraph books. You know, the consistency of your child when they sign up for an honors class that maybe they shouldn't have signed up for, but they did. And uh, in the beginning, it was really, really hard, but you kept on them. You kept consistently encouraging them. And at the end of the year, they get an A on the final exam. Consistency. Maybe you have that child that, you know, she's the wild child or he's the wild child. I got a wild child. I'll let you guess on which one it is. Um, But the consistency of um, pointing them towards Jesus and pointing them in the right direction and reminding them, you know, the right way to act and those kinds of things, the consistency pays off. Sometimes it's underrated. It's undervalued. It's things that you'll never um, really talk about. It's the the part of your life that isn't Instagrammed. It's the part of your life that that you don't take pictures of um, because no one would want to see it anyway. Because consistency isn't exciting. Consistency is boring. Consistency, you know, it doesn't Instagram well. However, consistency in parenting pays off. And yesterday it hit me um, just like a ton of bricks, how the little daily things that my husband and I did daily, the daily encouragement, the daily uh, moments that we pointed our kids to scripture, the daily homework sessions, the daily, the consistent things that you guys would be so bored about was revolutionary in their lives this year, consistently telling them. God is going to protect them, consistently reminding them who they are in Christ and what kind of character 
we want them to have. It paid off. And we saw that like <laughs> in the award ceremonies yesterday. So parent who was like this, this correction isn't working with my wild child or, you know, this reading is really, really hard to be consistent maybe a child that's just struggling or, or whatever it is, do not underestimate the power of consistency and do not give up when it seems monotonous, when it seems like it's not working, when it seems like you're never going to see the fruits of your labor, hang in. Because as a mom of an almost 16 year old, you know, I don't have like a 25 year old yet. I will one day, but I'm telling you, even after 16 years of parenting, I can tell you very specifically, it pays off. It pays off. So Shout out to all the mom and dads out there. And we are going to take a break. And then we're going to be back with the word of the Lord. Oh, I love it. See you in a sec. We'll be back with more from Autumn right after this. Are you looking for a passionate speaker for your next conference, church function, or fundraiser? Autumn Miles is the right fit for you. As the founder of the Autumn Miles Ministry, a live event ministry, Autumn has not only spoken at events around the country, she has planned and directed them. Autumn is a survivor of domestic abuse, and she is passionate about educating the church on how to effectively assist victims. Her message of hope and healing has been shared on the big stage internationally. Autumn is devoted to spiritually challenging people to draw closer to God. She is a passionate advocate for the word of God, women, domestic violence victims, and adoption. To find out how you can book Autumn for your next speaking engagement, go to autumnmiles.com. Once you're there, just search the top of the index for the Invite Autumn tab, Click on it and scroll down for more information. Once again, that's autumnmiles.com. Be sure to follow Autumn on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Autumn Miles in your internet browser. And now back to the Autumn Miles Show. Here's your host, Autumn Miles. Okie doke. Here we go. The word of the day. I hope this encourages you today. I love Jesus, y'all. And Jesus is about to rock your world. <laughs> As if he hasn't already. He's about to rock your world. This one line stuck out to me uh, not long ago that Jesus said um, that I want to highlight today. So I'm going to give you like my, the guts of everything straight out the gate. And then I'm going to set up why I'm giving you the guts of this message straight out the gate. This is what Jesus said. It's red letters. He said this, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. That's going to minister to someone today. Let me get into the guts of my message so you can see why that one line is so important. I want to read to you. We're going to read a, a good a good chunk of scripture today um, because, I mean, it's the word of God. I want to start off in Matthew 14, okay? I'm going to go, let's see. I'm going to read maybe even this whole chapter. So hang with me. 
Matthew 14 talks about John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was Jesus's cousin. Okay, we know that from scripture. Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, uh, got pregnant and she was barren before Mary conceived Jesus, okay, via the Holy Spirit. So we know that they were related. Jesus knew of John the Baptist. Uh, as a matter of fact, John the Baptist recognized Jesus in the womb. We know that the Bible tells us that the child, when Mary approached Elizabeth, leapt inside of Elizabeth, even on the approach of Mary, when Mary Mary went to stay with Elizabeth um, after she conceived Jesus in her womb. So John the Baptist recognized Jesus in the womb. That's a pretty big deal. So they knew each other on like a supernatural level. It's actually fascinating if you sit here and think about it. John the Baptist was called to be a forerunner for, for Jesus, okay? So we know that John the Baptist, through the different uh, gospels, you know, he had disciples, he had followers. He was sent to prepare the way for Jesus, which is so great because he was born before Jesus. And, um, you know, they were just a couple months apart in age, but John the Baptist and Jesus were familiar with one another. Certainly their families were very familiar with one another. Now, John the Baptist met a really, really nasty fate. And we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to see how Jesus responded. And Matthew 14, it says this at the time, at that time, Herod, the Tetrarch, heard the news about Jesus. And said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. Uh, and said to his servant, this is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. And this is why miraculous powers are at work in him. For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. Stay with me, you guys, on, on this. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. So John is like saying, listen, you can't do this. This is not, not right. You can't be with this, with this woman. And so he threw him in um, prison. Although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded John, John the Baptist, as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, uh, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and it pleased Herod. So we have kind of like a really sick, twisted scene going on here. So much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. He liked the dancing of Herodias so much that he said, okay, I like this. I like seeing this. Um, whatever you want, you can have. Okay. Having been prompted by her mother, Herodias said, give me here on a platter, the head of John the Baptist. Now, I don't know about you, but if anyone was like, Hey, Autumn, do you want something? I don't think I would think of putting a head on a platter ever. It just would never, ever cross my mind. Verse nine said this, although he, Herod was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests. So he made this oath in public and he had to basically grant her in public whatever she wanted. He sent and had John beheaded in prison. That's like actually a verse. He sent and had John beheaded in prison. Like, 
She asked for it. He literally did it immediately. And his head was brought on a platter. I hope you don't have little kids in the room because it's kind of gross. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother. His disciples came and took away the body and buried it and they went and reported it to Jesus. Now, John the Baptist baptized Jesus. This is not just like, like this is a big deal. John the Baptist was a forerunner and prepared the way for Jesus Christ, the son of God's ministry. He took a lot of heat. He took a lot of abuse at the hands of, of all sorts of people. He, he clearly was stepping out and speaking the truth in a time when nobody wanted to hear it. I mean, they threw him in prison for telling Herod what he should have told him. John the Baptist was and still is a very highly valued person to the Trinity. I mean, God sent John the Baptist, open Elizabeth's womb for a very significant purpose. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that John was literally paving the way for his ministry. So when I tell you that the disciples went and told Jesus, it's not like, hey, so-and-so, um, you know, passed away. This is someone who was revolutionary. This is someone who literally changed the course of the church. This guy's a big deal. And he was valued so much by Jesus. Not only that, he was related to Jesus. His disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and reported it to Jesus. What did Jesus do? Verse 13 says this, Matthew 14, 13. Now, when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. You know what Jesus did after he heard John the Baptist was beheaded? He grieved. I love these little um, pieces of Jesus that we get to see. You know, um, we, we constantly talk about the God side of Jesus, but I don't think we pay enough attention to the man side of Jesus. He was the God man. He was a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man at the same time. It had to be that way. That's exactly the way God set, set it up. He was the God man. And it's interesting to me, you know, when we go through a loss of anything, you know, right now we're grieving all sorts of things. I actually, my husband was talking to me the other day about the stages of grief and we were just having a, conver a conversation in our own life about a situation that, that some people have gone through in our own life, the stages of grief. Grief is a very, very real thing. And Jesus knew that grief was a very, very real thing. And so what did he do? He did not just disregard the fact that he had a great loss in his life. He, what did he do? When he heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. He took a moment. He took a moment. The God man, Jesus Christ, son of the living God, 
the one who raised himself from the dead, who died on the cross for your sin, took a moment. Sometimes I think we need to take a moment. I think it's easier for us to get super, super busy with um, whatever it is that we might be grieving. Maybe it's the loss of a relationship. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's an actual death in someone. Maybe it's the loss of a season, whatever it is, the loss of a marriage, the loss of whatever it is, the loss of our health, Um, whatever it is. We don't take a moment. You know what we do in our society? We add things to our plate so we don't have to feel what we actually need to flush through and flush out and feel in grief. He took a moment. But one great thing about Jesus is in his grief, he didn't let it stop him completely. He took a moment. But let's read the next piece of the verse. He withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. Second part of verse uh, 14, 13. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. You know, this um, this verse kind of uh, really, it, it makes me almost emotional for the people of that day because they knew that John the Baptist had baptized Jesus and John the Baptist, who they had followed for years, all of a sudden was dead. Like sheep without a shepherd is exactly what they were. John the Baptist was their shepherd for for quite some time. And then all of a sudden he's dead and, and he was not resurrected from the dead. He was dead and he stayed dead. So here they they see that John the Baptist put his stamp of approval on Jesus, which was actually very necessary for Jesus to gain the credibility. I know that sounds crazy to you, but that's exactly what was happening. John the Baptist was so well respected that when they when his followers saw that he was giving Jesus the credibility and then God spoke down from heaven and said, this is my beloved son and who I'm well pleased, they found the shepherd that they were ultimately looking for. So here Jesus is off grieving his, um, you know, the forerunner to himself. The people are scattered. They don't know what to do. And all of a sudden they find out exactly where Jesus is and they follow him. John the Baptist is dead. What do we do? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. He talked about Jesus. Yes. Okay. He baptized Jesus. Okay. We'll go follow Jesus. When he went ashore, He saw a large crowd in verse 14, and he felt compassion for them, and he healed their sick. Verse 15, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate, and the hour is already late, so send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Yes, I'm setting you up for feeding of the 5,000. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. I have preached this verse seven ways a Sunday, but I'm going to do it a little different way today. They said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. 
ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food and breaking the loaves. He gave them to the disciples and the disciples came to the crowds. Now, I don't know. And I'm just like kind of drawing from scripture. This is purely my opinion. But isn't it interesting that Jesus was operating on the human side of grief during this time? He might have felt like emotionally on the human side. We, I know he's the God man. I totally understand what I'm talking about. But it's just interesting to me that in immediately after he comes um, from a place of grief, from almost a place of desolation emotionally, he moves uh, and he sees a people that are following him that are also coming from a place of grief and want and desolation. So they follow Jesus because they don't know where to go. And then all of a sudden they don't have enough. So they're, they're presented with a circumstance where not only emotionally is Jesus grieving over John the Baptist, the people are also grieving over John the Baptist. They don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. They follow Jesus and then they're presented with the lunch. That's five loaves and two fish that's left wanting. It's almost as if this lunch could possibly, my opinion, represent emotionally how Jesus was feeling during this time. There's not a lot, a lot of emotional strength there. We know Jesus Jesus was 100% man, and we see that in Gethsemane. I just, it's just interesting to me to put pieces of the scripture like that together, because this story is literally a continuation of Jesus's grief. He doesn't say in his grief, send the crowds away. No, that's not Jesus. He's not selfish in his grief. And listen, I'm not saying that you can't be, this is the God man we're talking about. 100% human is very different than 100% human, 100% God. But what Jesus did in his time of grief is not send the crowds away, which I'm telling you right now could have happened. And based on the circumstances, absolutely no one would have thought a second thought about it. He could have looked at his disciples and said, I just lost John the Baptist. Send them away. I need a minute to myself. He could have said that. And no one would have thought one thing about it. But in his grief, he didn't let it stop him. In his grief, he saw people that were just as brokenhearted probably as he was. Certainly the followers of John the Baptist were. He felt compassion on them. It tells us right here in the text, he felt compassion on them. And he healed their sick in verse 14. They were feeling just the way he was feeling. And rather than sending them away, what did he do? They're hungry. This is what I can do for them. I'm grieving. They're grieving. We're all grieving together. Let's eat. (laughs) Five loaves and two fish. This is all we have. Jesus will just bring it to me. Bring it to me. And I'll take care. He blessed it, broke it, and you know the rest of the story. He fed everybody. One of the things that's so 
you know, you don't hear these two, uh, uh, the, a message like this taught um, back to back. And it's it's interesting because it is tied and it's right here in Matthew. I just read you exegetically what was happening. But I believe that today someone is out there and they are wondering if Jesus actually understands their place of desolation. They're wondering if Jesus actually understands what it's like to lose a child or to lose a husband or to lose a relationship or or to, to have a season of grief in their own life. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a divorce. I'm telling you what, I have been divorced. It is one of the hardest things I've ever been through in my life these 40 years on the entire planet. There is so much grief wrapped up in that. But in our grief, especially in divorce, we don't we don't sec- uh, uh, go to a secluded place. No, no, no. We try to re-engage in life. And sometimes we try to re-engage in life way too soon without letting the spirit of a living God put us back together. I wonder if you're wondering today, does Jesus actually understand what I'm going through? I'm grieving something. Does he get it? And I want to tell you, based on this text, I know that he does. I mean, we know that he was the God man. He grieved on the Baptist. He gets it. He grieved Lazarus. He gets it. He himself struggled in the Garden of Gethsemane. He gets it. And sometimes it's easy during a season of grief or or whatever it is that you're going through to step away from God because you feel like he's God. What is he, how does he get this? When really, just like these people, you need to run right to them. And when the people heard of this, verse 13, they followed him on foot from the cities. It's not a time for you to step away and say he doesn't get it. It's a time for you to step in. And for you to bring your little five loaves and two fish, whatever that looks, maybe it's the shambles of a broken marriage, the shambles of a broken finances, the shambles of broken job situation, the shambles of just grief after losing a person in your life. Bring those little five loaves and two fish, those little pieces to him. What does he say? Compassionately. He sees your practical need even more than you do. And he says, bring it here. I'm ready to take it. I'm ready to bless it. And I'm not going to leave you with less than five loaves and two fish. If you know the story, you know that he fed 5,000 men were only represented then. There was probably like 10,000 people there, like to be honest with you. And they had baskets of food left over. You bring those little pieces to Jesus, just little pieces. He will take it from you. Bless it in such a way. You won't even know how. You lost your small group. You lost your church. He's going to give you a small group with double the amount of people. And I don't know, God, God can work however he wants. I'll tell you what, my husband and I were waiting on one child to adopt and God blessed us with two. Is after we were uh, halfway through, we're broken. I'm telling you, what, I have seen this principle 
laid out more times than I can even count. I have brought my grief, my pieces to Jesus. And he's taken them from me and he's blessed them. And I've sat with baskets and baskets and baskets full and have not wanted in that situation again. I feel like this is a good word. Bring them to me. I think we need to have like, wherever you're listening to this, have a little, have a little prayer party, have a little revival right where you are and give them to Jesus. Every piece, every piece of what you're carrying, give it to Jesus because he understands what you're going through. Bring them here to me. I don't know. To me, that's a good word today. Um, I just, let me just pray over you to, um, and Lord, I just pray for the people out there that are listening. And Lord, we know that there's so many. I pray for those people that have, maybe they didn't know what they were dealing with. And maybe now they say, oh, I'm grieving something that I've lost. Lord, I pray for that person right now that is like, yes, I feel like God doesn't understand. And yes, I have stepped away from Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would take the little five loaves and two fish of what they have left from them. And that you would bless it and multiply it according to your plans for them. And that one day they would look back and this would be a testimony moment in their life. You have done this with me, Lord, so many times. I can't even count. And God, I pray that you would do this for that one person that's listening right now today. We love you and we trust you, Lord. We trust you with our pieces. With every single one of them, we trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I love you guys. I'll be back after the break with a question from one of you. What do you do when you can relate more to Jezebel, Rahab, or Eve than Esther or Mary? To her shock, author Autumn Miles discovered most of the heroes of the Bible were plagued with the same problem. They were ordinary people who sinned deeply. But God's love, mercy, and truth proved greater. In her book, I Am Rahab, Autumn provides a better understanding of God with a focus on the breadth of his reach to use and redeem all things for his purposes. You will find comfort in relating to Rahab, the biblical harlot, and to Autumn's own raw story of surviving domestic abuse, and will be encouraged to know you are not alone in a life disrupted by bad choices, nor are you meant to stay there. You can move forward from your past and have an abundant future. To find out how you can get your copy of I Am Rahab, go to autumnmiles.com and click on the books tab. That's autumnmiles.com. And now back to the Autumn Miles Show. Here's your host, Autumn Miles. Okay, guys, I am back with a question from one of you. This is a really interesting question. I'm really glad the team picked this up because I think 
it's real, right? It's totally real. I don't know who you are out there. They definitely, <laughs> some of these, you guys don't leave your names on, which is pretty funny. Um, but this, this from one of you out there, uh, you write this. And by the way, if you want to send me a question via email, you can do it at hello at autumnmiles.com. You actually, you also can DM me on Instagram or Facebook and we will, we will grab that. Don't DM me on uh, Twitter because I'm, I'm never over there. Okay. So here's the deal. The question from the follower says this, if God is all about forgiveness, I love how they qualify this, <laughs> forgiveness, love, and grace, then why do I have to give up things that make me happy, but aren't necessarily good according to Christians? Now, this is very interesting um, question because the, for many reasons, let me read it again one more time for you. If God is all about forgiveness, love, and grace, then why do I have to give up things that make me happy, but aren't necessarily good? according to Christians. I guess I would press back on this and I would say, I've got a scripture that I'm going to read for you guys um, about uh, this specific thing, but I guess I would ask you and I would put it back on you. Um, is it actually making you happy? You know, the world tempts us to fill our lives with anything but Jesus. Okay. The enemy is after us to fill us with anything but Jesus. But here's the thing. He gives us something to snack on. And eventually we have to go back to that same thing to snack on. And we think it makes us happy. But we're never really full from that thing that we think is good that we're snacking on. You see how the enemy works? He gives us little snacks. Oh, snack on this sin, snack on that. Oh, it feels good just for a moment. Uh, it feels good just for a second. But then you find yourself having to go back to that same thing to fulfill you. So my question to you would be this, is this actually fulfilling you? Because here's the thing. I did the same thing for years, for years. I thought, I mean, I'm pretty happy. Like everything's fine. But what I didn't realize is that there was a desolation in my soul. There was an itch. There was a need that literally never could be filled. I always felt like I wasn't enough. I wasn't measuring up. No one actually understood. No one actually loved me. So yes, there were things that I was snacking on that would give me a moment happiness, but I never had joy ever. I would laugh, but I wasn't full of joy. I would laugh, but I cannot say that I was, I was full of peace. I was full of any of the fruits of the spirit. This is how the enemy gets us. He gives us, I mean, sin is fun for a season. Let's just be real, but it will never satisfy ever. It will never satisfy the soul. And the enemy comes in and he tempts us to snack on a little sin that is not good by Christian standards. And he keeps trailing us along with these little snacks on sin. And he knows it's not going to actually satisfy us. So I guess I would ask this person, are you satisfied? Because you probably aren't. If you're in something that you know that you shouldn't be in, and there is a better way, there is a relationship with living water that will satisfy you more than any snack 
on something that, as you put it, isn't necessarily good. There is a relationship that can satisfy you. Um, Paul puts it like this in Romans, and I and I do want to read Romans, I mean, because it's Romans, but also the beginning of this question said this, if God is all about forgiveness, love, and grace, then why do I have to give up things that make me happy, but aren't necessarily good according to Christians? You know, there is something that once you become a believer, you know, you, you need, you always need forgiveness and you always need grace and you 100% need love, but you don't consistently do things that you would test those things. Anyone sin so grace by abound? May it never be. Paul was like, don't do that. That's not cool. So I would put back to this person, is this actually making you happy or is it the illusion of happiness and the desolation of joy? I would rather be joyful and sometimes not feel as happy, I guess. <laughs> then be happy for a second. Um, I hope this answers your question. It was a good question. Thanks for, you guys like are like, okay, let me give her the hardest thing I can think of. Um, but I'm trying to answer these in a way that is relatable and approachable. And um, I hope I hope this helps you. Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast today. Happy summer. Enjoy the summertime. I will be back next week with a brand new fresh edition of The Automile Show. Love you guys. Have a good week. Thanks for listening to this edition of The Autumn Miles Show. To find out more, go to autumnmiles.com. There, you can book Autumn for your next speaking engagement. Her inspiring message will be sure to engage and touch the heart of your audience at your next conference, church event, or business function. While you're online, you can find out how to order Autumn's latest book, Gangster Prayer. Our prayer is that this book will lead you to an intentional and passionate prayer life that is in sync with the heart of God. Go to autumnmiles.com to order your copy today. As we close, remember that you can follow Autumn on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for Autumn Miles in your internet browser. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Be sure to join us next time for another edition of the Autumn Miles Show. (laughs) 